Well, you're there in 1 John chapter number 5. 1 John chapter number 5. And I want to start reading in verse number 7. Just kind of recap a little bit of what we just read there. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7, it says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, and he that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, a lot of people, when they're out soul winning, will actually open up their gospel presentation with that very last verse there, 1 John 5.13, because a lot of people are really hung up on the idea of even understanding that you can know for sure that you're going to go to heaven someday. Now, I personally don't do it, but I understand why people do it, and I think that for certain situations, it's definitely very, very helpful to open that door for somebody. And what I want to point out, though, is that it's not just that he's talking about the way of salvation in this passage, but he's specifically emphasizing that they believe it. Over and over again, throughout the whole entire book of 1 John, he's referencing belief, he's referencing believing on Jesus Christ specifically, because that is what saves us, after all, believing on Jesus Christ. Now, I want to introduce just an example to kind of make way into the sermon of two different types of unsaved people where on one hand you can have, you know, a very common thing that you'll run into is just a mixed up, you know, Christian where they'll think that salvation is by good works or they'll think that salvation is by being baptized or any one of these things. But then sometimes you'll run into people that are atheists, you know, and atheists are people that just don't believe in God at all, don't believe that he exists. Now, some of these people at one point grew up in church or they, they used to go to church or they've at least had Christians try to reach out to them and teach them what the Bible says. Now, here's the thing. I've literally heard atheists talk and talk about the Bible and explain what the Bible teaches and literally hit salvation right on the head. I mean, describe it better than, you know, unsaved Christians would that go to church on a regular basis and will say that salvation is not of works according to the Bible, that salvation is just by faith according to the Bible, that Jesus paid for it. Now, here's the thing. These people are atheists. Are they saved? No, they don't, they don't even believe that God exists. So what's the core difference here? Well, the thing is, when you're talking to an unsaved person that goes to church, they hold the Bible as an authority in their life. They at least recognize the Bible as the Word of God. And the reason that they think salvation is by baptism is because someone at some point came along and told them that baptism is how you get to heaven or that being a good person is how you get to heaven. And they were deceived, but they think that's what the Bible says. So for those people, you open up the Bible and show, hey, it's actually not about good works. It's actually not about baptism. It's not about any of these things. It's about what Jesus Christ did for you. And you show those people that, and they get saved. Now, here's the thing. What if it's an atheist? What if it's they already know everything, but they just decided, I just don't believe the Bible. I just hold it in good works. What are you even going to do for that person? Well, the, honestly, the answer is nothing. I mean, we can sit there and we can talk about, you know, different science and different history and reason with them and try to convince them that way. But my point is, you're not going to just be able to open up the Bible to that person and explain them how salvation is by faith because they already know the Bible says that. It's the desire, it's the fact that they don't believe the Bible. 
You know, now I'm not saying this happens on a regular basis out soul winning. You don't really run into these people that often. But I do believe while you're giving the gospel to people, it's very important to make sure that you, the person that you're talking to, believes everything that you're saying. You know, I, you know, a lot of people attack soul winning all the time, and they want to just, you know, make it into something that it's not. And the thing is, there's because there's been really bad examples of soul winning in the past. You know, where you just walk up to someone, you talk to them for like 30 seconds and just pray with them. You know, I, I, I believe, I guess, hypothetically, it's possible for some, if they're like really, 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 really low-hanging fruit, that they might be able to get it with just a quick chit-chat. But most people are not. Most people have real hang-ups that you have to actually deal with and you actually have to confront. But some people are just nice people and they'll just pray with you for anything. But John 11, 25 and 26 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Specifically asking the question, he's not, I mean, he's the son of God. He can say whatever he wants. He has authority over everything. But as he's talking to this woman, he's specifically asking the question, after everything that he said, doing a recap, do you believe this? As you're giving the gospel to people, think about that. And throughout the gospel presentation, and especially at the end, make sure they believe what you're saying. You know, make sure they're following along, make sure they're picking things up. That way you don't get all the way through the gospel presentation and you start asking them questions and they still haven't figured out they're a sinner yet. Right? And you have to redo everything and waste all your time again. Make sure that we're not just kind of rattling off things and expecting people to follow along for everything. Now, the sermon this morning... It really isn't about soul winning, but I just wanted to use that example of the atheist and the person that believes the Bible but isn't saved to kind of give a segue into the sermon. What I want to talk about this morning is the difference between believing something and the difference between knowing something. About when you can know something, you believe something. They're two very different things. And I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter number 6. And look at a familiar story about Noah in Genesis chapter number 6. And I want to talk about, first of all, Believing something, but not knowing it. Believing something, but not necessarily understanding it. Now, in Genesis chapter number 6, we've got a story of Noah. And we can start reading in verse number 8. It says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without the pitch. And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, and the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the ark shalt, shalt thou set in the side thereof, with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort shalt thou bring into the ark, to keep them alive with thee. They shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind. Of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee, to keep them alive. 
And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. Now, we have this story right here where God basically is explaining to Noah about how he's going to flood the earth, how uh, basically he needs to make an ark, he needs to take two of every animal to preserve them, and they're basically just going to hit a hard reset button. The earth is really wicked, and God's just saying he's starting over. Now, he doesn't actually tell Noah the method of how he's going to do it. He just says there's going to be a flood. Now, keep on reading in chapter number 7, and look at a couple verses over here. It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive on the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, notice this, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. Every living substance that I have made will I destroy it from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. Now, you know, we kind of have a hard time understanding this because to us, this is basically just like extra details. I mean, it's, it's literally raining outside right now. We've all experienced... You know, floods, especially if you were here for the last building, the basement flooded all the time. I mean, you can look at situations with uh, on the coast whenever there's hurricanes and we see floods and this stuff we've personally experienced before. Now, with Noah, though, this is a brand new thing that he's never even seen before. Don't have to worry about turning back there, but Genesis chapter number two, it says, And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. I, I missed a verse there. It says, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. So God had never had it rain before up until this point, I believe. It says that uh, before that, when there was a flood, it didn't rain. There was a mist that basically came up from the ground, and that's how it happened. It didn't rain down. So here you have Noah, that God just comes to him one day. Tells them that he's going to destroy everything and that he's going to do it by a method of rain, which Noah or anybody on the earth has literally never even seen before. Okay, so Noah doesn't know what's going on. You know, he just tells them about rain. In my opinion, I mean, I guess he probably could connect the dots. There's going to be a flood. There's going to be rain. So maybe he's thinking there's just, you know, going to be water or something like that. But anyways, what he did is he just believed God. He looked at what God told him to do. He didn't necessarily understand exactly everything that he was saying, but God tells him to build an ark of massive proportions. You know, this isn't just a little boat carved out of a log. This is an enormous structure. It's huge. and He's building it in an area, in an entire planet, where it's literally never even rained before. Okay, so he gets this done. But think about the faith that had to go into that. Basically, God just told him something and he just decided, I believe it. He didn't necessarily understand exactly how it all worked. He didn't necessarily understand the rain, but he just decided, God told me this. I have believed God everywhere else in my life, so I believe God now. And he built the ark and he was right. It was a good thing that he trusted God because if he didn't trust God, the whole entire world would have been wiped out. Every single animal, every single person. And we should all be thankful today that we're alive because of this guy that believed God. Otherwise, we would never, uh, we would never even existed. The whole entire water would just, you know, the whole earth would just be water and then dry land in a desert with nothing living. But go over to chapter number 22. I'm going to look at another story. Genesis chapter number 22. 
And we'll look at Abraham, also another person referenced all throughout the New Testament, especially about the great faith that he had and all the different wonderful things that he did. Now, this is a very famous story because it's, you know, one of the greatest acts of faith that you see in the Bible where Abraham offers up Isaac his son. Now, I believe this is another instance where Abraham didn't necessarily know what was going on. He didn't know why he was doing it. He didn't understand it completely. But he just believed God, and that's why he did it anyways. Look in Genesis chapter number 22 and verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took, of his, uh, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I, the lad, will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is a lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, this is a wild story. I mean, just from moment to moment, and you think about the faith of Abraham, that basically in verse 2, God tells him, you know, offer up your only son that I promised to you for a burnt offering, and Abraham doesn't even flinch, he just does it. He just goes and does it. Now you say, how in the world could someone be so willing to lose their son like that? And the thing is, I don't believe for one second that Abraham thought, even if he went all the way through and killed his own son, that he was going to lose him. Because in Hebrews chapter number 11, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, uh, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So Isaac was given to him by a promise. And the promise was that God was going to multiply his seed as the stars of heaven. Now, Isaac had no children yet. He specifically told Abraham he was going to do it through Isaac. So here's the thing. Abraham, at first, when you can look back and see when he's initially promised Isaac in the first place, him and his wife are very old. They think this is ridiculous. They kind of laugh with each other. But then they see that promise fulfilled. And they see Isaac born. And they see him there and they think it's just great. They believe God. And they see now that God's not kidding. 
that God has the power to do these promises. God has the power to do these things. And then you have Abraham now, who's been given the promise. Now, he's followed God every step of the way. He might not have understood every single bit of it. He might not have known exactly what he was doing or exactly how God was working, but he followed God every step of the way. Now, up to this point, when you're reading Genesis chapter number 22, you're thinking, wow, he was just going to kill his son for God. And the thing is, he was going to kill his son for God, but he didn't believe for one second that he was actually going to kill his son for good. God didn't even tell him that he was going to resurrect Isaac, but Abraham focused and remembered the promises of God that he would have a multitude of seed through Isaac. So it wasn't that God told him something specific. It wasn't that he told him something extra. It's that Abraham focused on the promises of God and more importantly, Abraham believed God. There wasn't any doubt in his mind. There wasn't a worry about God changing his mind. He knew that God promised him this. And so God, who's led Abraham every step of the way, tells him something that I'm sure he's not comfortable with doing. You know, who would be comfortable just taking a knife to their son, you know, just to do it? I doubt that he had pleasure looking at his son bound up and ready to burn him and stab him and kill him. But he just knew, hey, it was God that gave him to me. And it's God that's telling me to do this now. It's God that performed all these miracles up to this point in my life. Why would I stop believing him now? And what happens is he goes through with it. He believes God every step of the way. And God blesses him even more because of it. That was confirmation to God that he truly feared him, that he truly believed his word. And he went through with it every step of the way. Don't worry about turning there, but you think about another character. Uh, You go ahead and go to Romans chapter number 1. But when we think about uh, in the book of Daniel, in chapter number 3, we were just there on Wednesday night, and you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that famous portion where they're just saying, hey, it doesn't matter whether uh, you'll cast us into the fire, God is able to deliver us out of that. And even if not, you know, we're still not going to bow to your gods. Those people, they didn't understand how God was going to pull them out of the flame. They didn't know that the Son of God was going to appear. They didn't know that they weren't going to be harmed when they were thrown into the furnace that killed the people outside of the furnace that was so hot. They just believed God, though. And they trusted Him every step of the way, and it worked. But now, you've got people that, they might not understand every bit of it. They might get that, uh, you know, like these people, they know that God's ways are higher than their ways. They know that there's nothing that uh, our mind can really wrap all the way around of exactly how God works and who He is and the way that He does things. But then you have other people, like we mentioned earlier, that they basically know what the Bible says, but they just don't believe it. You know, or you have the atheist that knows that salvation is by faith alone according to the Bible, but they don't believe it. And we look at that and think how just ridiculous that is. You're trading, you know, heaven for hell. You know the path of salvation. Nobody's deceived you. You just don't believe there's a God. And we can think about it. When you believe there's a God and you look out in the world and think there's people that don't believe in a God, those people are insane, right? I mean, how can you look at everything around us and think that there's not a God? How can you go about life? How can you even think that you can exist and breathe and function without a God? But it's a wild thing, but there's plenty of people that believe it. Now, in Romans chapter number 1, it's another place we were on Wednesday night. In verse number 28, we don't need to go through the whole chapter again. It's a pretty familiar chapter. But in verse number 28, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, 
God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Well, what are those things? It says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. Notice this who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So these people just, they're just not aware. It's not like they just don't know everything they're doing is wicked. It's not like they don't think murder, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Everybody just by nature knows that these things are wrong. You know, when you're in like a public school and people around are fornicating, it's not like people really feel bad about it, but they know that they're not supposed to do it. You know, when it comes to, you know, being full of envy, murder, you know, no one has to show you from the Bible these things. You just know them. It's written in their hearts. Okay? And people understand these things. That doesn't mean that they actually fear God, though. You know, it doesn't mean that they're genuinely afraid. It doesn't mean that they're genuinely worried and that they're not going to commit these things. I honestly think it's that they look at it and they just don't know it. You know, you think about, you know, certain atheists that just truly hate God, hate everything about him and hate it. You know, these people will specifically go into the Bible. They know things that antagonize God. They know things that antagonize Christians. They will specifically blaspheme God, not because they believe God, but because they know what the Bible says about blaspheming God. They understand that it's an unforgivable sin and they're in their pride will blaspheme the Holy Ghost, they'll blaspheme God, they'll speak evil things of Jesus Christ simply because of the fact they're prideful, they're puffed up, they don't believe in the judgment of God, but they know every single verse of it. They know what the Bible says about themselves. They understand that the Bible testifies of their wickedness. That's why they hate God. That's why they don't actually get right on any of these things. That's why they don't change. They have specifically seen what's in the Bible. They know what the Bible says and specifically do the exact opposite just to tempt God and just to antagonize Him. Now, uh, earlier in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, you have the story of Pharaoh where you have all these different plagues that are written there. Now, it's like six, seven chapters long, so we're not going to go to any specific verses, but I just want to list off the different plagues that happened to Pharaoh as God is in the process of getting the children of Israel out of Israel. So, out of Egypt, excuse me. So, number one, the water turns to blood. There's frogs everywhere. There's lice. There's flies. There's a pestilence among the cattle. They have boils break out, there's hail, there's locusts, there's darkness. And then on the very last night, there's the killing of all the firstborn, all the way from Pharaoh down to even the animals had all of their firstborn killed. Now, here's the thing. This doesn't happen just over a long period of time, and they're just unaware that this is happening. Moses and Aaron, every single time that one of these plagues come, they come up to Pharaoh... And Pharaoh's like, please get these plagues to stop. We know that you've caused them. Stop them. And then they're like, okay, back to the negotiating table. Let my people go. And Pharaoh just, no, I'm not going to do it. And so then they, they leave. A plague comes back. He calls for Moses and Aaron again. And it's just the same thing over and over and over and over again. Now, how wicked of an individual do you have to be that just every single day, it seems... 
There's just a new supernatural event. You have individuals that are capable of stopping and starting the supernatural event, speaking directly to your face. And yet Pharaoh just says no, because he doesn't want to let the children of Israel go. And God's commands weren't very, you know, grievous. He just simply said, He's not letting the children of Israel go. He didn't want to, you know, negotiate with God. He didn't want to do anything. And God wasn't interested in negotiating with him. Pharaoh wasn't going to cut a deal. He tried multiple times to negotiate and let some of the children of Israel go, but not all of them. And God wasn't satisfied until every single one of them was gone. And the problem is, every single time that Pharaoh didn't believe God, then he got another plague. And the thing is, you think about him as the leadership of that country, what the people in the country are dealing with. You know, you've got these people. I'd imagine that there were probably a lot of people in the country thinking, just let these people go. I'm miserable. You know, there's so much just garbage happening around. Our livestock is dying. I'm covered in boils. My house is being destroyed by hail. There's there's darkness. The water's turning into blood. There's frogs everywhere. Yet this prideful leader is just sitting back in his own pride. He thinks that he is bigger than God and God decided to make Pharaoh a proverb and an example and absolutely obliterated him. And you know what? We ought to decide as Christians, we don't want to become an example. You know, we don't want to become a proverb. You think about in the book of Proverbs, there's examples of specific people about people falling into the trap of the strange woman. And basically, you have Solomon writing and talking about, he just looks out the window and beheld among the simple ones a man not wise. And he goes and he's deceived by the, uh, the strange woman. He's, just, he's no different than a bird hasting to the snare, like an ox going to the slaughter. Amen. And he turns into a proverb. Now, those things are not written there just to bash those people, but it's basically saying, hey, for that guy, it's too late. He already messed up. Let this be an example for you not to do this thing. And so Pharaoh's written in there, and people just think, man, what's wrong with Pharaoh? Well, don't have an attitude like Pharaoh. Don't listen to something that God says and then not believe it. You know, if every single person... I mean, I think most people in this room are probably on the same page. Salvation is by grace. It's through faith alone. We all believe that. Well, let me, you know, get to the conclusion of my sermon. Believe the whole entire Bible. Whatever is said in the Bible, it doesn't matter whether it's uncomfortable, it doesn't matter whether it's hard, just set it in your heart. Hey, I believe every word of it. You know, if there's things that might be in there that are a little bit different than your flesh desires, or a little bit different than the world does things, make the decision that, hey, even though the world does something, or even though I've done this one way my whole entire life, when I read it in the Bible and I see what the Bible says, I'm going to believe God instead. And I'm going to change what I do and what I used to do and start doing what God does from now on. You know, many Christians are very, you know, good when it comes to salvation. They're very strong on doctrine when it comes to just things that the Bible says and they know and they understand doctrine. But then how about when it comes to what the Bible says about child rearing, what the Bible says about your marriage and the order of the family, what the Bible says about just having a good testimony in general, what the Bible says about being a good worker at your job. These aren't just things that we need to just fill our head up with knowledge. These are things that we ought to actually put into practice in our life. You know, it's not going to matter if you can know about how you're supposed to have a good testimony at work, but you can never show up. You know, you're all, you know that the Bible teaches you that you're supposed to go to work all the time and be a good worker and be one of the best people there. The Bible teaches you specifically that you're supposed to do that. And then you just decide, I'm not going to go work today because I don't feel like I'm tired, you know. 
Or how about the roles in the family? Say, sure, I know the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife and that the wife is supposed to submit to the husband, but I think it would be better to share the roles equally because that's what the whole world does, right? We all just kind of share and we do things together and it's more of a 50-50 rather than the husband, the head of the wife and the wife submitting to the husband. Well, but the thing is, the Bible says otherwise. You know, and if you trust the Bible to get you saved, you trust the Bible to teach the way of salvation, you trust the Bible to teach you doctrine, then trust the Bible enough that you can see things in the Bible and actually put it to practice in your life. It doesn't make a difference if you know all these things. You actually have to believe them. You actually have to do them or they won't help you. Sure, I know the Bible says that you shouldn't spare the rod in child rearing, but I don't like making my kids cry, so we just have long talks instead. You know, my three-year-old is a tyrant and goes and... Bunches holes in the walls and does whatever. Colors, doesn't listen to anything I say. But I, just, I don't like making him cry. You know, he won't love me then. So we just sit down and we have talks and I tell him not to do it again. And, you know, then he'll go do it. But I don't like spanking him. You know, well, the thing is, the Bible says not to do that. The Bible says specifically not to spare the rod. But then you have people all over the place. Well, listen to this psychological study, you know, that we, we at this college university that tells you all these other wild things, you know, has come up with the conclusion that spanking is emotionally traumatizing, damaging. Well, the thing is, all the people that grew up, you know, that are much older, that's how they were raised. They turned out okay. You know, most of our parents, that's how they were raised. And they turned out okay. Most of us, that's how we should have been raised. We turned out okay. So it's, I'm, I'm missing all this trauma. You know, where I see most of the trauma and just the wildness is the people that just hate God and despise God, honestly. You know, it, all these people that just spend time just blaspheming the name of God, hating God, moving on, they're the ones that are on all the antidepressants, anti-anxiety. They have no idea how to get through their life. They have no idea how to do anything. Now, I'm not sitting back and saying that every single person that does that or needs that is just a God-hater. I do think, honestly, that there could be a time and place for that if you really need it and you've tried a bunch of other ways that's it's not working. Maybe it'll help you out. But I am just saying, a lot of the people that have a lot of the mental problems and everything usually are not people that are Bible-believing Christians and going on and following the world. Usually they're triple-vaxxed. They're going off on every other thing. They're, you know, they're wild, okay? But So you have all these people that have all this advice for everybody, but then they're on like five different pills just to make them a normal, functioning person for 12 hours, you know? But meanwhile, we just believe the Bible, we just read the Bible. We see the things that the Bible says and put them into practice, and it actually works. You know, rather than going through all these other things. So basically decide, who are you going to be? Are you going to be like Abraham? Are you going to be like Noah that can look at things and see, this doesn't necessarily make all kinds of sense. I don't necessarily see how within the Bible that what God says within the Bible exactly adds up to the result that he says it's going to add up to. You know, in one example that I gave a second ago about, you know, when it comes to child discipline and deciding to spank rather than having these, you know, 30-minute talks and discussions about what was done wrong to a two-year-old, you know, that can't comprehend this stuff anyways. But, so you look at that stuff and think, well, man, if I spank my two-year-old, you know, they're not going to love me anymore. They're not going to want to have anything to do with me. Well, the thing is, I can see how you logically can get to that experience and get to that mindset. But then when you go out in the real world and you look at people that have kids that they won't spank or they'll never discipline at all, mm -hmm. and those kids are horrible. Amen. They don't love their parents. They don't uh. love them themselves. But then you look at kids that are raised in a place like this, and they're happy, they're playing, they like each other. And if they get out of line, they get disciplined, and they go right back to playing and being happy yes. and everything. But, you know, but the thing is, you have in the real world, all these people, you know, you look at families, 
you know, like, like our pastor's family or other people in this church that have a lot of kids and they all just work. But then you have people with one kid and it's just chaos. You know, and you think, wow, you should be able to reason with these kids. You should be able to work. Well, the thing is, if you don't raise them the way that God told you to raise them, don't be surprised when they don't turn out right. You see people with marriage problems all the time. They have all these different things in marriage. They need all this different counseling. And they sit back and think, why is my marriage falling apart? Why am I not doing any of these things? You know, my wife is the main provider in the home. And, you know, she takes care of all the bills. I stay home with the kids. And well, you're backwards. You know, and if you would read the Bible, you would see that. It's about believing it. And there's, so, I'm telling you, there are literally Christians out there, especially when, you know, let me just get to a pet peeve of mine, really. I got some time. You know, if these husbands that want to sit back and literally be piles of garbage, not provide for their families, not do anything, and then they sit back and get upset when their wife doesn't submit to them. You know, their wife sees they have a bunch of bills and takes initiative and goes out and gets a job to pay the bills, and then the husband who's like, you know, in the top 100, whatever the most popular video game is right now, gets mad that his wife goes out and works a job and is not submitting to him and doing whatever. Now, I'm not saying that when, one of your, when your spouse isn't providing for one of their roles that you should just all of a sudden go outside of yours. But how in the world is it that so many men think that they can just understand their duties as a husband and know what their duty is as a husband, but just not do it because the wife is more responsible? Or we put it more on the wife to do what she's supposed to do. Look... You both do it. You, the husbands love the wives. They love the wives like Christ loved the church. Okay? So when you think about Him, you think about how He gave Himself for us. You think about how He lived a perfect, sinless life and selflessly died on the cross, selflessly cared about everybody else. That's the picture of the husband. Okay? The picture of the wife is the one that just, you know, serves Christ. The church. We serve Christ, we do everything for Him, and we fall in line with Him. Now the thing is, if one of those places get out of order, then there's going to be problems. And you know what the thing is? We're all sinful people, and we're all going to get out of order sometimes. But the thing is, the closer we stick to the Bible, and the closer we follow the Bible, and see what the Bible says, and understand what the Bible says, the less problems we'll have. Amen. It's funny how that works. You know, but it's just about believing God. It's making the conscious decision too. Not just basically... I'm going to open up the Bible and see what the Bible says today. I'm going to open up where I'm reading at and see what the Bible says, and then I'll decide if I'm going to put that into practice in my life. You know, because I might see something that is a little bit too radical for me. I don't know that I want to do that necessarily. Well, if you just make the decision, hey, before I even open up the Bible and see what it says today, I'm going to put it into practice in my life and I believe it. You'll be so much happier that way. There's no sense in just doing this wrestling back and forth with God. I mean, how many plagues do you want to cause in the land of Egypt that is your family? How many times do you want to look in the Bible and see something that God says specifically to do and just say, no, I'd rather do it my way instead? And then you have the frogs come spend the night in your bed. And then you say, oh, no, God, take these frogs away from me. And then... God brings, you look back in the Bible, and it, I'm still not going to do this thing. And then you have the lice in your bed, or the bed bugs, or whatever. And you, I'm not saying if you get bed bugs, it's the judgment of God. But, you know, but you have these things come up in your life. You have these problems, whether they be fights, or whether they just be a constant argument that you're having over and over and over again within your, ham, within your family. Make the decision that, hey, whatever God says to do about a situation like that, we're just going to do it and trust that His decision is better. You know, I've never seen people that have decided, I'm going to follow the Bible wholly, I'm going to do whatever it says to do, and that is going to be the best way to live my life. I've never seen people do that and just decide, the Bible failed me. What happens is, is that they don't actually do what the Bible says to do, 
and they fail in their weird interpretation of what they're supposed to do within the Bible. Those are the kind of people that go by the wayward side. Those are the kind of people that don't do what God necessarily wants them to do. But make the decision today that you're going to be like Noah. You're going to be like Abraham. And even when you see something in the Bible that you might not understand completely, to just make the decision that, hey, until I figure it out, until I get it all down... I'm just going to do it anyways, because that's what God said. I'm not saying that you go look to some guy that's telling you to do something wild and crazy. I'm saying look into the Bible. If the Bible clearly says something, if you're looking at the Bible and you're fully persuaded in your mind, this is what the Bible says, make the decision that no matter what that is, that's what I believe. That's what I'm going to put into practice in my life and actually make it in practice in your life. Not just, I believe this and I have a super hardcore position on such and such, but actually deciding that, hey, this in my life is the way that I live my life now. Whatever it was before that you did, no matter how bad it was or no matter how good it was, if the Bible says something different, just decide, that's the way I live my life now. I'm not saying it's going to be just a snap of the fingers like, okay, I just decided I'm changing a major aspect of my life. You'll have you know, struggles with that. You'll have temptations with that. But if you make the conscious decision within yourself to say, no matter what it is, no matter how difficult it is, I'm going to make my very best effort to serve God and follow the Bible, then I believe that you'll be making the best decision for your family according to the Bible. And if we believe the Bible on a number of different things, we can't just pick and choose the things that we believe. We have to believe every single word of it. Whether that be from the book of Leviticus all the way to the book of Revelation, every single word of it is the word of God. And we need to make sure that that's the authority in our lives. Not something else, not whatever we see on the news, not whatever we see from the White House, not whatever we see from our local county government or whatever. It's whatever is found written in the Bible. That's what we should follow in our lives. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. So. Father, just thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the influence that you have in our lives. And thank you for the word of God that you've given us. I pray that you just bless this service and that you'd be with the rest of us throughout the day. And that you bring us back for a good service tonight. And I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.